Okay, let's, uh, let's get into this subject today. We're calling it Loving Like Jesus. If we could have that slide up, that would be great. So, uh, we're dealing with this topic. Uh, Akhtar introduced us to it last week. We're going to be doing it for a few weeks. We're going to be talking about some different things like loving your enemies, loving your, your family, loving your neighbors, loving those in need. Some of these very practical things. But this is the question I want to ask today. What is the love of Jesus like? If we're going to love like Jesus, we need to know what that love is like. And something the Bible tells us about Jesus is this, that he is the image of the invisible God. It says in Hebrews chapter one, it says he's the exact representation of God. That's to say that when we look at the life of Jesus, we are coming into contact with nothing less than God himself and the full heart of God and the love of God. So when we look at what Jesus loves like, we're seeing how God loves as well. And we're gonna be reading some verses today from John chapter 13, so that we can help understand better what Jesus' love is like, so that we can love like Jesus better. So at the end of today, I hope this will be our application. We think, gosh, I need to be more like that. So we're gonna read from John chapter 13. It's an episode from towards the very end of Jesus' earthly life before his crucifixion. John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, classic Simon Peter, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew already who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You know, the the love of God is something that is to be believed and received and reproduced. That's what these verses are telling us. So I just want to pray for us this morning as we get going on these verses that God would reproduce something quite remarkable in us as we believe and receive the love of God. So, Lord, we just welcome you here today. Lord, thank you for that song we sang, You're More Than Enough. 
And Lord, as we read your word, we say this with humility, this is more than enough for us, Lord. We could spend a lifetime explaining these verses and not exhaust them, but Lord, we believe your word is enough for us today. So I just want to pray, Lord, you'd open our minds, help us where we're distracted this morning, help us to concentrate, I pray, help us to understand things that we don't understand. For those who are struggling, I pray that you'd uh, really just draw near to them in tenderness as we explore this wonderful gift together. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've got uh, four U's for you today. Not you as in you, but you, the letter U. And uh, the first U that I want to talk about, what is the love of Jesus like? Here's the first thing that we read in this verse, it's unchanging. The love of Jesus is unchanging. And there's this remarkable verse. I think it's got to be one of my favorite verses in the Gospels. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he, Jesus, loved them to the end. Have you ever been loved that way? Have you ever given love that way? Because that's the way that Jesus loved his disciples, and that's the way that he loves you. Here's the wonderful thing about the Christian faith, if you're new to it. It's so personal. It's so experiential. Here's John, who wrote these verses. He was one of the 12. And do you know how he referred to himself in his own gospel? Rather than calling himself I, he used to call himself the disciple that Jesus loved. That wasn't him being cocky and and kind of like, hey, I'm it and nobody else. No, he was so secure in his relationship with Jesus, he referred to himself as the disciple Jesus loved, like all the other disciples probably did as well. They said, yeah, he loves me, he loves me, he loves me. Do you know the most intelligent person you'll meet in the Bible is probably the Apostle Paul. He was deeply academic, theological. He had a brain the size of a planet. But do you know, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he summarizes it all in a sentence, and he says, by faith I, I, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved, him, who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's how the brain the size of a planet says it in a sentence. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. And today, that's the love that Jesus wants to love you with. It says in Ephesians 1 verse 4 that he chose you in him before the foundation of the world. He knows you with a deep commitment and a deep, uh, a deep interest in your life. To love somebody is to take an interest in them, isn't it? And, I, I was, uh, and Jesus was profoundly interested in his disciples. I was reading a, a Eugene Peterson commentary this week. Eugene Peterson, who, who paraphrased the message translation, and he, he went to glory this week, so Twitter went wild with kind of enthusiasm about Eugene Peterson. And I thought, you know, I've never read any of his books, so I thought I'm going to read one. And uh, I read a commentary on Psalm 121 where the psalmist says uh, these words. He says, um, he who watches over you will not slumber or sleep. He who watches Israel will not slumber or sleep. And Eugene Peterson, he said, he said God is profoundly interested in the soap opera of our lives. <laughs> I thought, what a phrase. What a phrase. I grew up in the 80s. I, I, I watched all those soap operas. Coronation Street, EastEnders, Brookside, River City. There's one for every night of the week, wasn't there? It was before the internet came along, kids, right? This is what we did in those days. We used to tune in at half seven. 
And uh, here was the thing about those soap, soap operas. You were just watching the boring mundanity of fictional people's lives day after day. And then people in their droves started tuning out of those in the 90s and 2000s because here's what people thought, oh, it's just not very interesting. It's not very interesting to watch other people's lives. Their lives are just like mine, but less interesting. So then we turned over to the reality TV shows. Because we thought, reality TV is authentic. We're watching people in real time, their lives in real time, minute by minute. But then we turned those off. Why? Because they were so dull. Nobody wants to watch somebody eating a meal really slowly. Or have an argument with somebody else. Nobody wants that. You think, my life's like that. But here's the thing. If, if those lives are uninteresting, then so's mine. So's mine. To most people, my life would be profoundly uninteresting. But do you know, there's somebody who's interested in my life, and it's Jesus. There's somebody who's interested in your life, and it's Jesus. And he knows everything about you, and he watches over you. He knows you. He loved those who were his, and he loved them to the end. He loved these 12 disciples in the mundanity of their fishing jobs. He loved them when he called them, and then they lacked faith to, to, to exercise the gifts that he was giving to them. He loved them anyway to the end. He loved them when they couldn't cast demons out or heal the sick, and people said, Jesus, they can't do it. And he said, I love them anyway. He loved Peter when Peter denied him three times. He loved him to the end. He loved Judas, even though he was going to betray him. He loved these disciples when they fell asleep on him in the Garden of Gethsemane. He loved them when they ran away because they were so scared for their own lives. He loved them when he paid the price for their sin on a cross. People say, don't they, that when, people, when somebody's under extreme pressure, you see what they're really like. You ever heard that? I find that terrifying, because when I'm under pressure, I'm really not a nice person. But here's what we see about Jesus. He's taking the full punishment and weight of the sin of the world on the cross. All of it. Yours, mine, theirs. And what's he doing? He's talking to the guy on the cross next to him. And he's saying, do you want to come to paradise with me? You see... Jesus knew how it is to love to the end, and he loved the thief to the end. He loved the disciples to the end. He even loved a doubter called Thomas. He even loved a group of them who went up on the Mount of uh, Ascension, and they saw him ascend to heaven. And it says in Matthew chapter 28, it said, it said they, they worshipped him, but some of them still doubted. When Jesus loved them to the end, it meant this, he loved the doubters still. Some of you here today, are struggling with issues of doubt in your faith. Some of you are really on the edge. I feel this today. You're feeling like, I don't know if I should keep coming here. And the best thing I can say to you is this, that Jesus loves you. He's not put off by your doubt. It doesn't alienate him from you. He loves you regardless. And the very best place you can be is with the people of God and hearing about the love of Jesus for you that is so constant and unchanging. There's no season of life that Jesus will not love you through. It's the best food and drink in every season of the soul. 
we read at the end of John's Gospel that uh, John's Gospel is interesting. Matthew, Mark, Luke, they all end with the resurrection appearances of Jesus. John's Gospel goes one step further. It finishes with the resurrection, but then you just have this final episode of a conversation of Jesus on a beach with Simon Peter. And chapters earlier, Simon Peter had denied Jesus three times at a fire pit in Jerusalem. And now Jesus finds him by a fire pit on a beach in Galilee. And having denied him three times, Jesus asks him three times in John 20, he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And each time Simon says, yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, I love you. Yes, Lord, I love you. I think it's fascinating. When you read that story, the one thing that Simon Peter never has to ask Jesus is, Lord, do you still love me? Do you still love me? For Simon Peter, that was a non-negotiable. He lived in the reality of being loved by Jesus. I wonder if you do, because we need to. And it strikes me in our generation today, when I look around, there's, there's a love deficit around. Isn't it true that everybody wants to know that they're loved or accepted or needed or wanted. Everybody's reaching out saying, love me, love me, love my social media, like me, want me. Jesus today can free you from that need to be loved because he will love you with a love that never changes. Our culture today thinks it knows about love. I was just reading uh, this a thing in the news this week, it said that a quarter of 18 to 24 year olds felt that marriage should move to a more temporary contract style arrangement like a mobile phone contract. And the idea is this, you know, because after a couple of years, it might change. You might want to change, you might want to upgrade, downgrade, extend. What that says is this, that there's at least a quarter of 18 to 24 year olds who don't know anything about love. <laughs> because the new covenant that Jesus made with his people says these things, it says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you even to the end of the age. That is the love of Jesus. So it's unchanging. Are you ready for another you? Okay, the second you is it is unconditional. And uh, the, the word that John used when, when he said, uh, having loved them, he loved them to the end, it's this Greek word agape, say agape. And that's right, it's, a, it's one of the most popular uh, Greek words that Christians might know, and it, it has this sense about it. It means unconditional love. In fact, the New Testament popularized this word, and it, and it meant God-type love. Love that loves even if it doesn't get anything in return. It loves even if it doesn't get anything back. It says, I'll love you even if you don't love me back. And this is the word that the Christian said, yeah, that kind of best sums up the kind of love that we're talking about. It's this and one other word that gets used mostly in the New Testament. And this is the love of God, it's unconditional. He washes Judas's feet just like he washes the other's feet. Now, in New Testament times, life was hard for Christians, much harder than it would be in our generation, you could argue. They suffered some pretty extreme things, which at times must have made them doubt. 
There were times when they didn't have any food. There were times when they felt oppressed because of their faith and picked on and ostracized. There were times when they didn't have enough clothes to keep warm. There were times when they felt under severe demonic attack. There were times when they were really worried about tomorrow and the day after and the day after that and next year and the year after that. And the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, he uses this same word, agape, love. And he says to these guys, to them as an encouragement, and he says it to us as well. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's to say there's no earthly circumstance or heavenly circumstance that will ever separate you or me from this unconditional love of God. Eric Liddell, the Olympic champion, who went on to become a missionary, he died in a Japanese concentration camp. He made this comment. He said, circumstances may appear to wreck our lives and God's plan, but God is not helpless among the ruins. He comes in and takes the calamity and uses it victoriously, working out his wonderful plan of love. His love is unconditional. Are you ready for another you? We're just breezing through him this morning. Here we go. The third one is this. The love of Jesus is unassuming. So we read this. Jesus got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. I want you to picture the scene. They're sitting around the table. In fact, they're not sitting on chairs like you, they're reclining, that's how you did it in those days. So your feet are furthest away from the table and you're leaning towards the table on one elbow. And the common task of the servant in those days was to come and wash the feet of the guests. This is my reading between the lines here. When Jesus got up to do this, Remarkable task for the Son of God. I don't think he stood up and said, I've got an object lesson for you today, guys. Here's the towel, here's the water. Watch what I'm going to do. He doesn't seem to do that. He says that afterwards. What does he do? He just gets up from his place and first couple of disciples, all they know is that somebody's washed their feet and they're just assuming, it's just the servant. It's just the servant doing what servants do. Then it's good old Simon Peter who looks over his shoulder and he says, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. Washing my feet and we have this conversation. He says, you can't do that. And Jesus says, I have to do it. And he says, okay, everything then. So here's the, here's the thing, we, observation we can make about the love of Jesus. It's, it's unassuming. Jesus does it without fanfare. He doesn't announce his intentions. He, he just gets on with the job in hand. Perhaps the servant didn't turn up to wash the feet. Maybe they were delayed. Maybe they're busy. But Jesus says, there's feet to be washed. And I'm going to do it. 
and I'm going to do it. You could call this kind of love humble. You could call it humble if every Hollywood celebrity didn't use that phrase to describe themselves when they're receiving Academy Awards. I'm just so humbled to receive this word. No, you're not, love. <laughs> you're feeling incredibly honored. You're just saying you're humble. No, see, nobody was noticing what Jesus was doing. He was doing it anyway. When Jesus died for the sin of the world, nobody was noticing. Nobody was saying, oh, look what he's doing. He was doing it anyway. When Jesus made bread for the thousands, nobody really knew what was happening. He was doing it anyway. You know, this is kind of the best kind of love there is. And you know, the Christian world is full of it. Most of what goes on in King's Church in terms of love being shown isn't stuff that gets organized centrally from an office or from the front. I, I was chatting to somebody the other day and I, was, I, I, said, I said, oh yeah, I'm a bit worried about so-and-so, I haven't seen them for ages. And, and, and they replied to me and said, oh, well that's fine because I've been popping in once a week and taking them some food and praying with them and having a cup of tea. I thought, well, nobody asked them to do that. But they were just showing love. They were just doing what needed to be done. Isn't that what Christian service is all about? That we just get on with the stuff that needs to be done. Perhaps you're in a stage of life where much of what goes on in your life is unseen. Maybe you're working for an employer who insists on taking the credit for all your work all of the time. And you think, well, nobody sees what I do. Well. You're being like Jesus. You're getting on with the job in hand, and you're serving. In fact, flick to Philippians chapter two. Let's have a quick look at this. Let's make this interactive for a moment. Are you up for that? Okay, Philippians two, next slide please. So Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Just shout out at me some of the characteristics of the love of Jesus being shown in this passage in its practicality. Go. Sacrificial, yeah. Obedient. Isn't that amazing? We, here's a phrase we don't use in life these, these days. I just love being obedient to my employer. <laughs> no, we want to be empowered. No, Jesus was obedient. The Son of God was obedient. He showed his love through obedience to what somebody else wanted. What, yeah, what else? Humble. Humble. Not Hollywood celebrity style, but truly Humble. Practical. Practical. Yeah, doing what needed to be done. Brilliant. What else? Say that again, girl. Single-minded. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think you can see that in there. Uh, not taking advantage. Not, not for his own benefit. Not because he was going to get something out of it. He, he became nothing. He took the nothing role so that we could receive, 
reconciliation to God. He, he went beyond, above and beyond, obedient to death, even death on a cross. His love seemed to know no boundaries. He was the servant, the servant. When somebody, uh, servant, we, we regard that as a secondary thing in our society. We've kind of got rid of that kind of idea. But the Son of God was the servant to humankind. And if we're going to love like Jesus, then we need to choose to be the servant of those in need. It's unassuming. Maybe, maybe there's things in your life that are unnoticed by others. It could be that you're a parent here today, a young parent. And those can be difficult years. The baby screams at you from the moment it comes out your womb. And you ever had that thing, young mums, where you've, you're pushing the child along in a pushchair and you bump into somebody from church and they say, where are you going? And you say, I'm not going anywhere, I'm just trying to get the baby to sleep. Because <laughs> it's just a constant life of serving, serving, serving. Perhaps that helps you to understand that when you're raising a child, that's not, that's not a glorified role, but that, that's serving another to make sure that they become the person that they're meant to become. Here's the fourth and final you. The love of Jesus is uncontainable. Jesus said, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Just to make a quick observation, I don't think Jesus was showing us another ritual here that Christians need to practice. I don't think he was bringing another sacrament to the church. There's communion, there's baptism, and now there's foot washing. Because I think you can actually miss the whole point if you take that. I don't think Jesus is saying, do the foot washing things, Christians. What, because what he was doing was fulfilling a practical need on a particular occasion that needed doing. Here's the thing, I could wash Chris's feet, but it wouldn't have a lot of meaning in our culture today. But there are plenty of needs in our world today that need to be met. And when Jesus says, do as I have done for you, he's saying, serve others as I have served you. Now, straight away, that should give us two equal and opposite reactions. Jesus saying, love the world, love one another like I have loved you. What's the first reaction? Help. <laughs> Who can love that way? Only Jesus can love that way. And that's the right response. He says, God, I can't do that. And God says, I know, that's why Jesus died on the cross, because you can't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, your neighbor as yourself. We're imperfect. We need his forgiveness, and we need his help. But here's the second thing. When he says, do as I have done for you, he's commissioning us. He's saying, Christians, this is your very role in life. This is the thing you're going to be good at. This is the thing that God has chosen in advance for you to do, to do the works of God, to show the love of God to a world in need. He's called us to reproduce this amazing love. Uh, apparently, William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, 
um, he, as he, he, incredible organization today that feeds thousands, millions of, of poor people all around the world, started by a guy called William and Catherine Booth. And in his elderly, infirm years, he was hoping to come and speak at a conference with all of his senior leaders from the Salvation Army. This is back in the 1800s. And uh, sadly, he was too ill to travel. And everyone was disappointed because they were hoping to hear from him a word of commissioning for the next few years. They traveled from all over the world to be there. And so William Booth sent a telegram in his frailty. And you had to pay for telegrams by the word in those days. So he thought to himself, what, what can I share with these people? And he sent a one-word telegram. And as they read it out, it simply said this word. To these people, in expectation of their vision for the next few years, he simply said the word, others. And everybody was like, yes! <laughs> Let's go! Others. I, I could have made this mes message much shorter today, couldn't I, if I just said that one word, others. And it might have had the same effect, who knows. But that's what it's about, that's what Jesus is saying. As I have done for you, you do for others. It says in, one, in 2 Corinthians 5, for Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. See, this love, when it gets inside of us, when we understand the love of Jesus for you and me, it doesn't become this burden where we think, oh gosh, I'm a bit tired this week, I've got a lot on, and Jesus wants me to show his love to everybody. No, it becomes the very driving force for everything we do. The love of Christ compels us. And the Apostle Paul, when he said those words, he, he said, I can't even look at anybody anymore and see in the same way. Here's the challenge for you this week and for me. As we meet people in our workplaces, on our studies, that we don't just see them as other human beings that we happen to be sharing the planet with, but we see them as people who Jesus died for, who Jesus said, serve them, love them. I was, um, I was in a taxi the other day, I dropped my car off at the garage and I was just heading to the office here. And I don't know about you, life's busy. Do you find your life busy? Oh good, you don't, that's fine. We should find a few more things for you guys to do, really. No, all of you find life busy. Some of you have much busier lives than me. I feel my life can be busy sometimes, but here's the thing. I'm always busy doing something. It's not always something I should be doing, but I'm busy doing something. So when interruptions come, sometimes they're not welcome. I'm in a taxi, and I'm, I'm coming into the church office, and the taxi driver's trying to be friendly. And I'm like, oh, no, just busy texting, you know, answering texts. That's what church leaders do, isn't it? And uh, anyway, he says, oh, so, so where are you going? I said, yeah, just, just to work, yeah. Back to the text. He said, so what do you do then? I was like, I'm a, yeah, I'm a, I'm a <laughs> more of a smile, I'm, I'm a minister of a church, yeah. And uh, 
And he says, oh, that's really interesting. Oh, he says, yeah. And, it, and he starts talking, asking all these questions. He said, he said, what kind of church is it? I said, well, we're kind of one of those happy, clappy type churches. And he said, oh, right. He said, that sounds really great. He said, so why is your church, you know, how come you're getting loads of young people to your church when all these other churches are done? Anyway, I put the phone down. I said, let's have this chat. Okay, let's talk about it. Let's talk about Jesus and why he's at work in young people's lives today and why people want to come to church on a Sunday morning. And we just had a great chat for five minutes. And then here's the thing, at the end of the conversation, as he dropped me off, he said, he said, you know, he said, I've got so many questions about all this stuff. He said, I feel like I'm at a time in my life where I need to find some answers. Can you suggest anything? I said, well, yeah, we're starting this thing called the Alpha Course. I said, where do you live? He said, in Belerno. I said, well, they run one in the church in Belerno as well, St. Mungo's. I said, you can come to this one here. He said, he said yeah, I think I might do that. What did it cost me? to have that conversation. Nothing, I just had to put my phone down. It's much more interesting than what I was doing anyway, to be honest. But if we're gonna serve and love like Jesus, sometimes we're gonna have to stop doing something else that is a lesser priority than the thing he's called us to do. His love compels us. And here's the thing. We might not be the best speakers, debaters, scientific reasoners, philosophers, but here's the thing that every Christian can aspire to, is to love somebody like Jesus loves them and to share his grace with them. I just want to finish with one final idea. I'm aware we're we're reaching time. Um, But... Here's, some, here's a practical, I was thinking, how can we apply this? I know there's lots of diverse application you can make, and perhaps there's things you're already thinking of. I want to just encourage us to an act of doing something together. So if you could put the, the slide up, the, yeah, that's the one. So we, we had this idea, which was this, you know how we're often telling you to invite your friends to church events? Come to the carol service, come to the alpha course, come to the comedy night, come to church, and we love that many of you do that. But we got thinking about this thing, you know, the love of Jesus is so simple. It's so simple, it doesn't require you to get somebody into a church meeting. And we just wondered about this, I just thought, couldn't we just do something simple where we held one another to be encouraged and accountable, and we put on a weekend of the year where we encourage people to just do some hospitality in their home for people on their street, or for their neighbors, or for work colleagues, people who don't know Jesus yet, and say, why don't you come to my house for some mulled wine and mince pies if you're British? Or if you're Nigerian, maybe some puff puff or whatever those things. to, To do some basic hospitality in Jesus' name and just say, hey, come to my house. I remember chatting to somebody a few years ago, Adrian Holloway, and he did a, a, a similar thing on his street where he lived. And all his neighbors came, and one of his neighbors said to him at the end, he said, he said, this is amazing, he said. I've lived on this street for 30 years, and nobody has ever invited me into their home. I wonder if this year one of our most exciting Christmas events might be this, that we open all of our homes, and we invite as many neighbors as we feel we have capacity for. And we say, come on in, have some chips. Have some Coke, whatever it is you want to put on. 
And the advantage of doing it that weekend, of course, is it's going to be the weekend before the carol service. Where So if, if you get chatting to them and they seem interested, you can say, hey, well, do you want to come to my church? It's, it's next weekend. So anyway, you, you'll see on the, on the screen there that that's a Christmas card. We've, so we thought, what can we do to help this? Because this doesn't sound like a church event. I'm, I'm just, this is... This sounds like something that you're going to do. Uh, Jess Robinson kindly designed a Christmas card for us, which is going to be available from next week for you to take, and you can take a few. And uh, it just says Merry Christmas on it, and it's blank inside for your own message. It doesn't say come to King's Church. It doesn't say Jesus is alive, because the idea is that you just want to invite a friend or some neighbors into your house for a first time. And... We're providing the cards and the envelopes, and the rest is over to you. Is that right? And you might want to club together with somebody else if you're feeling like, I can't manage this by myself. Why don't you do it with a friend? Say, hey, we'll do this together, and invite some of your friends over. So so just want to ask you to think about that. Right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for, for your great love for us, Lord. And... <laughs> Just remarkable, Lord, that the Son of God would come and serve us. He'd leave glory to come and wash feet, to get crucified on a cross. Help us to receive that love, Lord. Help any here who don't know that love yet to receive it. Help any who are struggling here to know their love today, to feel that love and to believe that love. But Lord, as we get into this topic of loving like Jesus, I just want to pray that you'd begin to electrify us with this idea that you've commissioned us to love the world like you have loved us. And I want to pray for great exploits of love in Jesus' name as we seek to take your love to our neighbors, our friends, our work colleagues, our families, and to the ends of the earth. So be with us, Lord, we pray. Holy Spirit, we say we need you very much. Lord, this is impossible in our strength, but everything is possible with you. So, Lord, we put our hand in your hand and we say, lead us on, encourage us, help us, Lord, help us make good priorities. And we ask for your strength and help in Jesus' name. Amen.